You're listening to Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 56, airing on September 24th, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to improve themselves so they can better engage and develop others. Whether you're a seasoned leader or leading people for the first time, improving your leadership skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic, four ways to lead virtually. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Coaching for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I'm coming to you from our studio out here in Orange County, California. And I am so glad to be with you again for another week. And if you are tuning into this show for the very first time, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. If you care about people and you care about leading a team of people, or maybe even just a single person, or maybe you just want to lead yourself more effectively. This is a great place for you to be to get you some great tools and resources that hopefully will help you to lead more effectively and be able to influence others. And today's topic in particular, I know is something that is of value to me because I am doing a lot more leadership virtually. And I know that that's something that's very true for many people that are out there in the business world and the organizational world that we are all being asked to do more and more virtually. And I know for me, this is true because my primary workplace is actually now in our home. In fact, uh, our studio is here in our home and I'm Bonnie and I are blessed that we have this, uh, house that we can, you know, have a dedicated space for, you know, an office and a home office studio here. So I'm, you know, I can close the doors and record and, and probably 60 to 80% of my work these days, uh, including all the podcasting we do and, uh, and, and audio recording is done out of our house. And that is becoming more and more uh, normal for people to do. In fact, in some industries and in some organizations, it has become the standard of having people working virtually. Now, before you tune this episode out and say, this isn't helpful to me, I don't work virtually, I don't lead people virtually, even if you are someone that goes to a place every single day, whether that be an office or uh, or a place where you are getting together and working with people in person, you are probably still doing some type of leadership virtually. You know, we are all talking more over email. We are all talking and leading more over conference call, over webinar. And so even if you normally work with people and you see them face to face, Uh, chances are, I bet if you sit and think for a couple minutes and think about the week you have ahead, I bet you are doing at least some leadership virtually this week, if not even maybe a good size of your week. And that's why I am so pleased to welcome our guest this week. I have asked my friend Mike Demas to join us. And the thing I love about Mike is one of the things that I, I try to really consider anytime I invite a guest onto the show is, uh, first of all, Mike has really lived uh, leading virtually. He's been doing it for many, many years, decades, really, and has a tremendous amount of uh, valuable experience in doing it, so knows it well. 
The other thing I really like about Mike is not only has he lived it, but he's also researched it. So he's looked at both it from that academic side, but also from the practical business side. And so I know that his experience is valuable. And when I reached out to him last week, I knew that he would be someone that would really uh, have some good perspective for all of us as leaders on how we can lead people virtually. So I did have a chance to have a conversation with Mike last week. And so here's my conversation about how we can lead virtually with Mike Demas. And before I start the conversation, I should mention I said up front, there's four ways that we'll talk about leading virtually. And you'll hear those four things during the interview. And at the end, I'll summarize those four in a real concise way. So you've got something that you can walk away with. So here's my conversation with Mike Demas. I have my friend Mike Demas on the line. Mike is the Director of Strategic Planning at uh, Micron, and he has previously worked for Intel. And uh, Mike and I were very uh, fortunate to get to go to Pepperdine together and do some graduate work, and that's where we met. And the other reason I've asked Mike to be here today is because uh, in addition to his professional work, Mike's also done a whole bunch of work around researching people who uh, lead virtual teams and uh, actually has done a lot of time researching, thinking about this topic. And so uh, not only has done it a lot professionally, but kind of looked at the research side of things too. And so I'm just thrilled to have him as a guest. Mike, thanks so much for agreeing to be here today on Coaching for Leaders. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you. And uh, I thought we'd start off here by just kind of setting the stage and, you know, looking at like, what is a virtual team and, you know, why are organizations doing virtual teams more and more these days? Yeah, that's a good one. What's the definition? I think um, in, in my mind, it's a team that's, uh, and it can be, virtual teams can take many forms. Uh, but I think, uh, I actually, I think if you look at the history of virtual teams, it really started with telecommuting. I think people were working from homes, calling in on their telephones. But um, as the internet came on, I think companies became uh, more interested in, uh, rather than moving people around to the job, to where the jobs were, they would just go acquire companies or acquire divisions that were in other places that had the skill sets that they wanted. And it was a lot less expensive for them to move those people. So they began to just work as virtual teams. And, and what we mean by a virtual team is, is really that we don't work in the same office. And, I, you know, in my, um, in my research, I always refer to local teams as teams where everybody works in the same building. Um, they sit in the same office space. They maybe share the same lab equipment, whatever. Uh, and a virtual team is really just a team that doesn't work on the same site. So, you know, it can be in the same state, it can be in the same city. Uh, it can be uh, national, international. You can take many forms. Uh, like I said, in some cases, um, some businesses are run completely virtually where everybody works out of the house. So there's many, many ways to look at a virtual team. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that, Mike, because I was thinking as we were, uh, as I was pre- preparing for our interview uh, today, that you know, of all the clients we work with and the organizations I've worked with over the last few years, I'm having a hard time thinking of any organization right now that we've supported that doesn't have some aspect of virtual teams or is entirely virtual, like you said. And so I'm curious as to why do you think, I mean, in addition to some of the obvious reasons, like, you know, just not having to get people 
moving around ge- geographically. What are some other reasons organizations are moving toward this? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with globalization and less expensive workforce. Um, I know when I was at Intel, uh, I managed a software team for many years. It was getting expensive. The software engineers were getting expensive here in the U.S., and we were able to get software engineers for about a third of the cost uh, over in Malaysia or over in India or over in uh, Russia or maybe China. So there was a lot of motivation from a cost savings perspective to to distribute the teams, and I, I really did. I think the cost savings is a really big part of the of the move. I know one of the things that leaders are running into more and more these days is not only setting up a virtual team, but inherent inheriting a virtual team that maybe someone else oh, has yeah. established or or try to establish in some cases. And I'm I'm wondering what is the starting point for getting started leading a virtual team, particularly if you're inheriting a team that someone else has set up or an organization's established yeah. prior? Yeah, so I think, I think the biggest hurdle in virtual teams that I've seen through both experience and through my research, I think, is this idea of trust. There's a lot of suspicion, you know, especially in the case of a, a t- maybe, maybe it's a case where a company bought another company, and now all of a sudden these workers that were working in an environment where they knew everybody are all of a sudden reporting to an office that's far away, a manager that's far away. In many cases, it's in a different country, different culture. So the you know it falls it kind of falls onto the leader to be able to try to build trust within the organization and that's a very difficult thing to do when you don't see the people every day. So uh, I think you know you're, to your point about how do you kick this thing off, it really has to start by, and I think it's the case where the leader has to go to the team and spend some time there. Um, I know when I was managing the team in Malaysia, for example, I used to go spend two weeks there about once every six or eight weeks. Um, and, and also conversely, I would bring members of the team over to work for extended periods of time in the U S so that they could integrate with the team. I, I even had a rotation set up so that, uh, people could go, um, spend time working in Malaysia as well from the U S. So I think that's a really, a, a really important part of it is of getting the thing kicked off is getting some face time. So one of the things of being successful managing virtually is actually stepping out of the virtual environment and stepping into the real world yeah. environment. Yeah, yeah. There's that kind of kickoff phase where everybody has to get to know each other. You, you know, you really it's it's just basic uh, human social skills. Going there, taking them to lunch. You know, you know, maybe you meet their families. Uh, you have some team builder events, things like that to to uh, to get the team to trust each other. Because you know now this person's coming in that's that's sort of this disembodied voice. That, talks to them on a speakerphone and and all of a sudden this person's in charge of their of, of their career and a lot of people get nervous about that so yeah I think that FaceTime is very important I've certainly seen situations where that hasn't worked well Mike and I'm sure you've seen a whole bunch more than I have what are some of the common mistakes that you see leaders make when they either accept a role in leading a virtual team or maybe trying to set up a virtual team for the first time yeah, I think, well, so some of it, they have to have the willingness to to, to, to get some face time is, is part of it to start. And then they have to be more structured in the way they manage. They have to be clear about roles and responsibilities, clear about what deliverables are, clear about deadlines, and to the point where things have to be more formal. I think you, you have to have either a SharePoint site or a website or something where you track, uh, where you create metrics, where you can watch what's going on. Because 
Because one of the things that I think a lot of uh, managers don't realize when they start managing a virtual team is uh, I don't see the people every day, so it's very difficult for me to gauge what they're doing. Right. Um, they could be, as far as I know, they could be watching YouTube all day. I don't really know what they're up to, right? So in the traditional office where you came in and, you know, 8 o'clock, everybody walked in the door, you would see them at the water cooler, you'd see them at their desk, um, you could observe their behaviors more closely, and that would become part of your evaluation about their ability to get work done. Um, so maybe you didn't have to have as stringent uh, uh, measurement systems or metrics in place to measure performance. Uh, when you're managing a virtual team, really those metrics and those performance indicators are all you have. And, and actually, if you read a lot of the literature, uh, a lot of the studies that have been done on highly effective teams, what you find is the managers that were successful typically uh, were pretty darn good about um, about creating metrics and clear roles and responsibilities and those kinds of things. What's the time you've seen someone really not do that well? Is there something that sticks out for you in memory that says uh, that that would be the thing not to do? Yeah, I think, you know, what I call the hands-off manager <laughs> would be the yeah. way I would put it. Is, you know, you get the manager who's not willing to put the time in to actually monitor what's going on. So uh, they might throw a task or a job or a project over the wall to somebody that's working on it virtually and then not think about it much for a month or, you know, some period of time. And then by the time they check in with them again, they've, they, they discover, wow, this project's six months behind or you know, things weren't happening the way they wanted to, or they didn't get there, or the worker didn't get the proper feedback, and he ends up going down the wrong path, et cetera, et cetera. And I've actually seen that happen. Um, but actually, the biggest one, which is uh, maybe not quite as uh, easy to measure, is there becomes these sort of like little uh, fiefdoms or, or, or factions within the organization where the people that work on one site um, start to form their own kind of a culture that may be different from the other site. And it becomes an us versus them sort of a situation. Hmm. Um, so they start to feel like, oh, you know, like, for example, if you, you know, I work here in, in Northern California, uh, maybe I'm managing a team that's in Chicago, for example. And maybe the folks in Chicago start to say, oh, gee, you know, those people in California, they really don't know what they're doing. And we don't really like what they're doing. And they start to form this sort of a, an internal dialogue amongst themselves where they start to uh, exhibit negative behaviors about you know, and attitudes toward the group that's trying to influence them that's far away. And if there's a group think that sort of gathers around that, it makes it, it makes it very difficult for the manager that's, say, in California to continue to manage that team in Chicago because um, they don't trust them. And, and you know, I, so it really does come back to trust. And I've seen, by the way, I've seen that happen many times. And, and uh, I, you know, it's really funny because I'm thinking in particular about a group that I managed that was in Denmark because they're, in addition to being a different, it was a company that we had acquired when I was working for Intel. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to there being a different corporate culture there, we had to deal with a different country culture. Sure. So there were many things. And actually, my favorite story from the Denmark folks, and I, I just love this story because it, it really does sort of highlight the cultural differences between the two organizations was um, when we were at Intel, we had a ranking and rating system for, for performance evaluations. And so uh, the, at the time, the general manager of the division went over to Denmark and told the general manager there that was running the group in, uh, in Denmark, he said, well, we're going to start doing performance reviews and we're going to use this ranking and rating system. So you're going to have to rank and rate all of your people. And, and the manager in Denmark said, well, uh, sure, that's easy. I'll just rank them all the same. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and the manager and the manager here in the U.S. said, no, 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 you don't really understand. We have, you know, somebody's got to be number one and somebody's got to be number 30 or whatever the number was, right? So you're going to have to rank them. Because uh, it, when I was working for Intel, they had a policy that people that were in the bottom third consistently over some period of time eventually were asked to leave the company, right? So there was, mm. uh, there was a lot of, um, how do I say it? There was a lot of... Uh, an awful lot of pressure on the employees to perform well because they were being ranked and rated every year. And, and you know, we could debate the merits of that system. You know, that's a whole other subject, right? Sure. But, yeah. But, but it, but it, it did highlight though, that, uh, because the Danish is a, you know, socialist country, uh, they're, they're very concerned about things being fair and, uh, which is great. I mean, and I think, you know, that if you've ever been to Denmark, it's a wonderful place and they're wonderful people. And uh, they wanted to make sure that, that things were fair. And, you know, that's not necessarily the way it is in the U.S. We're a little more competitive, right? Mm -hmm, right. So, um, but, yeah, that, you know, and that group never really did gel very well. We always had sort of this kind of contentious relationship with the Danish uh, and had a hard time getting things done. What would you, in a situation like that, Mike, I think, Mike, I think is a really good example of just some of the real-life challenges that fall into this as far as cultural boundaries, what can a leader do to, or, or maybe even in that situation, what did ultimately happen as far as uh, getting that working well and did it ever work well and, and what should have been or could have been done differently? Yeah, I think, you know, in this case, the leadership, I don't think was very sensitive to what was going on there. It didn't work very well. And eventually we ended up uh, selling that division off. Uh, and, and I think a lot of it was because that particular leader was very rigid in his beliefs. And uh, he wasn't really willing to compromise with, with the folks, the, the Danish folks. And I think it, it just led to a situation where it, we, we never really, you know, if you think about the Tuckman model, the storming, norming, performing, mm -hmm. uh, we were always kind of in that storming mode the whole, the whole period uh, that I was in the group anyway. And, you know, I, and I, don't, I think it was directly the fault of the top leadership in that particular division. I think that they were just, you know, they were hell bent on, hey, this is the way we do things. And, you know, if you don't like it, it's too bad. Mm. And I think it, uh, it, it didn't breed a working environment that was uh, conducive. And, you know, as a part of that same acquisition, we had another group that was in Germany as well. So uh, actually, there was another group in Greece, too. So we had uh, Northern California, uh, Denmark, Germany, Greece. We had a lot of different cultures going there. And it was the whole dynamic was was different. Uh, and it was interesting. I think we actually probably were more, um, there was definitely more, the relationship between the Germans and the Americans was much more effective, I think, than what was going on between the Danish and the U.S. And eventually we shut, the, the, group, the group in Greece we had to shut down too because we had performance issues there as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And it, it's not a decision to be taken lightly. I think if, if you put into a situation where you say, hey, uh, I need to start, you know, I've got a company right now and I'm thinking about acquiring a company that's someplace far away and especially if it's in another country. Uh, that's a decision that's not necessarily something you can make just based on financial data. Um, there are inefficiencies that, that, that happen and, and depending on how you manage that can make a big difference about whether or not you're successful. So, you know, it was actually that experience that, made, that got me interested in this whole virtual team problem and it's the reason that I did a lot of research on it because... Uh, I still work in that environment 
um, where most of my meetings are on a polycom, just like I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I think uh, I've I've gotten pretty good at it now, but uh, it took me a long time to kind of get to where I am. So. Well, you mentioned two words that uh, you know have come up as themes. One, you've mentioned the word trust a whole bunch of times already, and although you didn't say this word explicitly, the example and uh, the with the Danish group of flexibility and the importance of that, and that leader not having flexibility in that situation, and that as yeah. a result it didn't lead to performance. In addition yeah. to those, what are you? What do you find that leaders who do this well, who are able to lead virtually, what works well for them? I call it over communication, and you know it's well. For one thing, I think flexibility. You hit it right on the head. Uh, I need to be willing as the leader. Got to be willing to take that phone call at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, you need to have those meetings that are, you know, eight o'clock at night. <laughs> um, you need to be available for the team. And some managers are not. If you if you come from the mindset of, you know, I work an eight to five job, you're going to have a very hard time operating in a virtual world. Um, I, I actually got to the point, and I coined this term myself. I don't know if it's a real term or not, but I just I used to just call it weaving. You sort of end up weaving your work into your life. You don't mm. really um, you don't really have defined work hours because, as the manager of a virtual team, and, I, and again I'll use the the group in Malaysia. Uh, one of the things that I I did intentionally was I had my staff meeting on Sunday nights at six o'clock uh, with the with the folks in Penang because that's eight a.m. on Monday for them. Sure. So, so you know I would I have an office in my house. <laughs> And every Sunday night, my family knew at six o'clock, I'd say, well, I'm, I'm retreating to the office and I'm going to go have my staff meeting with the folks in, in Malaysia. The reason that I did that was because it was convenient for them, not because it was convenient for me. I, mm. could, I could have forced them all to stay, you know, Monday night uh, late at work, you know, met me in the morning when, I, when it was convenient for me, but I never did that. Um, the other thing that I would do is I, I kept... I had separate staff meetings for the folks that were here in the U.S. and the folks that were in Malaysia um, because uh, that way I didn't have to ask both teams to be flexible. We would just have occasionally, like quarterly or every couple of months or so, we would have kind of a joint staff meeting, and we always scheduled that at a time that was in the evening for us, so it was good for us, or in the morning for them, it was good for them, depending on what uh, what worked best for each group. But I tried not to... to to make one group feel like they were always being put upon. One of the things I'm hearing you say a lot is that flexibility is key in a lot of different ways of being able to engage people. And, um, you know, I think that that probably leads me to my next question, Mike, which is, you know, how do you engage people when you can't see them? Because, you know, when you, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, in the old traditional world and workplace, and some of us still somewhat work in this environment where you'd, you'd see people at the water cooler and you could observe and have sort of those yeah. spontaneous interactions. Um, that just doesn't happen as much virtually. So how do you engage people? And what do you, what do you think about when you're trying to engage people well, that are 4,000 yeah, miles away? So, yeah, you know, so we use, uh, you know, here at Micron, we use instant messenger a lot. Uh, and I think thing, tools like Skype and uh, Twitter now is actually a good thing. If you can, there's actually one that's uh, like Twitter, but it's secure. So you don't, you know, you don't have to broadcast to the whole world. Uh, but there's a lot of those kind of social media tools um, that make it a lot easier to communicate with people. Uh, for example, when I'm sitting here at my desk, I've always got my instant messenger up and running. At any time, really 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, I can get a, a ping from somebody in some other part of the world. I have, 
in this group that I'm working in right now, some of the people I work with are in Italy, uh, and I have, we have another group that's in Singapore. So um, I get messages kind of all the time. I, you know, I've got an iPhone, and uh, I, I freely give out my uh, my text. I, I really love text messaging. I'm a big 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 believer in text messaging because it saves time uh, from from having conversations. Hmm. And I encourage people to text me anytime. But all the, these these great tools that have come from the uh, from the internet, this this uh, ability to kind of create a virtual world that's instantaneous. You can sort of replicate the water cool conversations with instant messenger, believe it or not. You know, because sometimes you can say you can be chatting with one person and then you can bring somebody else in and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. So I think between email, instant messenger. You know, Twitter, your iPhone, um, text messaging, those kinds of things. It you can kind of—it's not exactly like the water cool, cooler, but it, it's similar. It's, and and it it helps people to feel like you're kind of working together too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's int- it's fascinating you say that because you know one of the things I'm always trying to think about, Mike, is how do I work efficiently and effectively with you know people uh-huh. that I'm supporting and leading. And one of the things I try to do is actually get off the grid once in a while. And so uh, you've mentioned the importance of this availability and being able to be responsive. So one of the things I'm curious about is how do you balance that availability, kind of that always on mentality and and to extent, you know, this kind of the world we live in now with the, hey, I need time to just sort of focus and think and get out of the fray as a leader and actually do some strategic thinking. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I, this newest version of Lynx, I don't know if you're familiar with Lynx, but that's no, I don't uh, think Microsoft's so. kind of latest uh, instant messenger um, enterprise. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it, it, it actually, it links itself into your Outlook calendar. So like, for example, now I, I have this meeting scheduled on my calendar. It knows that I'm in a meeting and it'll post to others that I'm in a meeting. <laughs> oh, interesting. So, and, and uh, so I can I can post a status on here that says do not disturb or whatever. So people can see, like I, I'm looking right now, because you mentioned that, I'm looking at people in Boise, I'm looking at people in Colorado, and yeah, I can see exactly where they are. I can see if they're at their desks, I can see if they're away. <laughs> I don't know, maybe this is a little big brotherish, I'm not sure. But, it's, uh, but it sure is great for me because, you know, like Jenny is my admin in, um, in Boise, and... Uh, if I want to ask her a question, I see she's on right now and it's green. I could poke her right now and ask her a question and I know that she'd answer. So it's kind of nice. And yeah, I think the way you, you still have to manage your time and I'm no different. I think than any other manager that works in a, in a local site, I, I find myself pretty much between 9am and 4pm uh, booked solid. I mean, I think even, even my lunch hours now, for the most part, because Boise's, you know, our, our headquarters, and that's an hour off from us. So their lunch hour is is an hour off, and so they have lunch at 11 o'clock, and we have lunch at 12 o'clock. So they're all back to work at 1 o'clock, and it's difficult for me to uh, even go away for lunch, mm. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So, um, but I can I can schedule things and, and create time for myself, which is what I do. Uh, I'll just put things on my calendar. You know, these are working times. Sure. Um, but again, I, this really, really the flexibility. And if you're talking specifically about the manager, and you know, I, this is what I did my research on, by the way, uh, was I, a part of what I was looking at was job satisfaction for virtual managers versus local managers. 
because I, I, I had a suspicion that the virtual managers, well, it was, it was interesting, actually. I think my hypothesis was that the virtual workers loved it and the virtual managers kind of didn't like it because mm. <laughs> right? it was more work for them. But, but yeah. actually, uh, the research that I did um, didn't really show any significant difference in um, in their ability to get things done. So oh, interesting. Uh, I, found, I found that interesting. But um, but I think, uh, and as I wrote in my dissertation too, I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot more research here. This is it's a, re- a relatively green field. I think that the world of virtual uh, teams is pretty new, and there hasn't really been a lot of research done yet. Uh, and there's not, there aren't really a lot of best-known methods yet, right? So people are sort of wrestling with this. As I told you, I, I think I found a set of things that I know works for me. Uh, I know when I first joined Micron, I spent a lot of time um, traveling to other sites and getting to know people, just like I said before. And now that I know everybody, I can work pretty much virtually all the time. I don't really have to travel as much. Uh, although we still get together, the whole group, we still get together probably once a month or so. I've established relationships with these people. I've established trust with them, and I think we can get a lot done. So a big part of this is making that investment up front of building those relationships. And as you make that short-term investment, that it really pays off for the leader in the long run and pays off for the team, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the upfront piece. I think if you get that established and you get those relationships established, that, then that'll carry you for a long time. Hmm. Um, in groups where I worked uh, several years, I worked for many years, four or five years in a virtual group uh, when I was at Intel. Yeah, I, you know, I knew some of those people so well after four or five years that the fact that I never actually saw them didn't really mean that much. I, I, you know, I talked to them on the phone so much or I was in meetings with them so much on, on the phone that uh, I felt like I knew them really well and I knew, I knew, I knew uh, how they would react to things. It's almost like that old friend that you've maybe known for years and you haven't seen them in person in forever, but they call and you kind of pick things up right where you left off. Uh, it yeah, almost sounds yeah, like that know, to me a little bit. Yeah, it's exactly like that. I think it's uh, exactly like that's a good analogy. Hey, Mike, before I let you go, who's someone that's been a great leader to you and what have they done that's worked for you? I, I have to think about it because I, th- I think there's different leaders in different stages of my life, right? But for I think sure. from, my, from, the business, from the business perspective, uh, I had a manager for many years in the 90s that um, uh, I was very collaborative. And I think I learned a lot from that person in particular because uh, and I think what I what I mostly learned from is I always had a very positive attitude, uh, very upbeat. Was never really confrontational, no matter how bad the problem was. He would bring people into a room, and you know he would he would get people to uh, to focus on the issues, and we would always find uh, we work toward finding solutions. Things were never personal, you know what I mean. And I think uh, I, I think about him a lot because I think he was somebody that I learned a lot from as far as. Uh, learning to work in a collaborative fashion. Mm. And because I think any of us that have worked in big companies know that there's really very little that you do by yourself. And, and actually, I think it's a great trend. I noticed, I know when we were at Pepperdine, uh, this, this was sort of a, a method that was used, but I think that this, there's a trend in education that supports that, which is to get people to work in teams that really does translate well into the workplace because uh, I know many of the projects that I've managed have been wow, you know, I want to say 100 people in some cases, you start to learn very quickly that you, you've you got to have um, well-coordinated uh, efforts and, and, and a lot of cooperation and trust if you want to get those jobs done. And that doesn't matter. That doesn't really matter if you're virtual or if you're local. And I think a lot, you know, so a lot of what I learned as far as how to 
how to get those kind of things done was from that particular individual. Mike Demas is doing strategic planning at Micron. He's worked at Intel and overall just a pretty smart guy. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for being here on the show. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. As Mike and I were talking, I was writing down the key things that he was saying. And as I went back and looked at my notes, the four things that came out for me, you heard them and you heard them in our conversation, were number one, when you're leading virtually, establishing trust. And boy, that goes beyond leading virtually. That's in any leadership situation. Many of us know that without trust, really nothing else can happen very effectively, certainly not very quickly. And so, but if we have trust in any leadership situation, we have the ability to really influence others, engage them, help develop them. And we all know that, but sometimes our actions don't align with that. So in a virtual situation, as you heard Mike mention, that trust building is just as important probably even more so than it is when we're seeing folks one-on-one. We get the benefit of the doubt one-on-one, but in in virtual situations, uh, we only have those times we're interacting with that person on that connection, on that phone call, on that email. So we really do have to establish trust up front. And then the second thing, of course, Mike mentioned was flexibility. The importance of us as leaders particularly for working virtually, of sometimes working on different hours than we normally would. Like Mike gave that example of working outside of his normal uh, schedule and setting meetings on Sunday nights. That's key. And then, of course, right along with that number three, availability, the ability to be present for people, even if we're not physically present, to be virtually present. And Mike gave a number of examples about that. And then, of course, the fourth thing that he mentioned a lot and I think is tremendously important whenever you're taking over and doing virtual leadership and particularly if you're inheriting a team a virtual team is investing the time up front and we could say this about any leadership situation but especially leading virtually boy if you can get out there and really build good rapport with people go and make those personal visits make those connections on the front end It's going to help you tremendously as a leader. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, even if you don't lead virtually, this is a great lesson for all of us is investing time up front to listen to people anytime we get in a leadership role. So I would challenge you and encourage you to do that. And if you found these four things helpful, I hope that you did. I would love to hear in the comments on the show notes what was most helpful to you and also if we raised questions for you i would love to hear about them and i would certainly jump in online and answer additional questions and i'm sure mike would as well the best way to interact with us and with the other listeners of this show is to go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash 56 so again that's coachingforleaders.com forward slash the number five the number six that's episode 56 you'll see the notes for this show there And if you scroll below that, you'll see a form, a place you can actually add in your comments. Would love to hear from you. Any comments, questions, or feedback you have. You can, of course, always email comments or questions to me too. Feedback at coachingforleaders.com. 
And, um, and of course, you can call as well. And happy to uh, hear your voice and uh, even uh, play your message on the air here, 949-38-LEARN. Hey, if you're going to do one of those three, though, I'd suggest going on the website first. The nice thing about doing that is when you ask a question, uh, not only can I see it, but everyone else can see it too. And so we can engage in some dialogue and that way everyone benefits from it. So if you're comfortable doing that, go on over to the website. And hey, just a couple of quick notes before I let you go this week. A reminder that I have started up our newsletter, the Coaching for Leaders newsletter. Now, those of you who have signed up for it already, thank you so much. You've already received the 10 books that will make you a better leader. There's a video and a download for that. And if you have signed up and you're wondering where is the newsletter, it's because the first issue is yet to arrive. And the reason I haven't sent one out yet is I'm a big believer in not just starting to send out lots of emails for the sake of sending emails. I actually want to send things to you that are valuable. So when you get something from me, it's going to be something that will be a good tool and resource to use. And so I'm in the process of putting that together. And so you will get that soon. If you're not already on the list, you haven't missed out yet. So jump on the list. You can get there at coachingforleaders.com forward slash subscribe. And that's where you can also pick up that 10 books that will make you a better leader as a quick thank you for subscribing to the list up front because I want you to get something of value right away. Hey, if this episode has been valuable to you, I would love to hear about it on iTunes. Uh, Many of you utilize iTunes to reach this show. And if you are a user of iTunes, go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash iTunes. That will take you right over to our iTunes page. If you would take a moment to write us a written review, uh, not us so much, but me a written review, I would really appreciate that. And that would help others who would benefit from this show, who are wanting to engage and develop others that will help them to find us and help us to continue to grow our community. So thank you in advance if you do that. And also thank you to Evelina Voli, Shushant Srivasta, Guillermo Russo, Abby Hatch, Ricardo Torres de Acha, and Catherine Strunk and Robin Green, who all hopped on in the last week or two to like our Facebook page. So you can find us on Facebook at Coaching for Leaders, or you can go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash Facebook. That will take you right to our Facebook page. Lots of tools, articles, things I find interesting out there during the week. I'm throwing up on the Facebook page. I'd love to hear from you there too. Hey, a reminder, the link for the show notes is on our website, coachingforleaders.com forward slash 56. This show airs every single Monday, every Monday morning. Hey, wherever you are in the world, whatever's on your agenda today, take one idea from this show to engage and develop someone you lead. Have a great week.